ahead and start today with prayer, and then Pastor Sergio is going to come up for our sermon. So let's go ahead and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the opportunities that you have given us to come together. Thank you for the opportunities that we have to worship you in community, both in person and online. God, I ask that as we continue with our service that you would speak through Pastor Sergio, that they be your words, not his. And Lord, we want to ask that you would please um, be with those people who are not able to be here with us today, those who are with their families or just different situations. And God, you know what people need. And I ask that you would give everyone the strength and the patience and the endurance to keep our head held high and to keep on praising you. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Good morning, church. So it was uh, 25 years ago. I can remember this clear as day. I know, 25 years ago seems like a long time. 1995, and it, I, was, uh, I had just been in this, my second church that I was pastoring. I was still a fairly young pastor at the time. And uh, I had just gotten there about a year before. And I had followed a pastor that was really having some challenges. He kind of became cultish a little bit. And, uh, and so anybody that followed him would be like gold, you know. So I, when I got there, uh, everybody just really appreciated that I was, you know, at least normal. And, uh, you know, taught truth as we understand it in the, in the Amish church. And, and it was just, it was, you know, it was, it was nice that it wasn't cultish. And, and so we were having a great time. The church was growing all was going well, and about a year and about three months in, in 1995, I get a phone call from the ministerial director of the Pennsylvania Conference. And the ministerial director of the Pennsylvania Conference uh, says, hi, my name is Mike, I'm the ministerial director of the Pennsylvania Conference. I would like to know if you would at all be interested in po possibly coming to Pennsylvania Blue Mountain Academy and be our pastor. Some of you have heard me talk about Blue Mountain Academy, so you already know how this goes. I said, well, actually, I've only been here for about a year and a half. I really have no interest. And he said, well, would you at least pray about it? <laughs> and I said, well, okay, I can at least pray about it, but just know I have no interest. I don't want to, I just got here. You know, we're doing great. I love this church. And he said, just pray about it. So I said, okay. So weeks go by. Quite honestly, I forgot to pray about it. And uh, I get another phone call. Hey, it's, it's Michael uh, from uh, Pennsylvania Conference. Did you pray about it? And I had to say, no, actually, I, I haven't just because I don't have any interest. Well, we are convinced that you should be the one. Can I at least come and, 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 and meet with you and, and just come to church and, and, and just, you know, hear you preach and, and see how it goes? And I didn't know what to say. I mean, I was, again, a brand-new pastor. I don't know I could say no, <laughs> uh, but I said, sure, what Sabbath do you want to come? So we decided on the Sabbath. I decided at this point, I better tell my head elder, Elder Ham, Elder Ham, head elder of the Poughkeepsie Seventh-day Adventist Church. And uh, 
I remember telling him, and he, was, he just shook his head. He said, no, please, Pastor, please don't. And I said, I, I know. We're just going to let him come, you know, hear the sermon, and everything will be fine. Now, you have to understand, Poughkeepsie, New York is kind of north of the city. This was January, and uh, we were scheduled to have 15 inches of snow on that Sabbath. I believe pa- uh, Elder Ann was praying for the first time in 40 years of that church, they decided to close on that Sabbath. And I thought, well, now what are we going to do, you know? So I actually remember calling uh, Elder Mike. I don't want to give his last name here. Um, I called him and, and on Friday, and I said, you know what? We're canceling church. We may want to wait another time for you to come. And he's like, no, no, we're, I'll be there. I'll be there tomorrow, you know? And, and uh, even if we can meet at your home for a little bit, I'm like, we're getting two feet of snow here. He's like, yeah, we're fine. And I'm thinking, okay, he's from Pennsylvania. He's going to come here with a big four-wheel truck. You know, he's, he's going to come through the road and just, ah, oh, man. All right, come on over. So about uh, 11 o'clock that morning, Sabbath morning, I see this little, tiny Toyota making it through our street that had just been plowed. Snow is coming down. We haven't even plowed our driveway yet. And he just pulls into the driveway. I mean, it's just two feet of snow. And I'm like, this guy is nuts. And he comes out of the car. And then his wife comes out of the car. And then out of the back seat, his two teenage children come out of the car. A girl and a boy. Oh, no, it gets better. Suddenly... We're seeing them talking to somebody. I'm like, is this grandma? What's going on here? Who are they bringing here? And this little dog, like I'm, like really little dog, comes out and gets buried in the snow. She comes out of the car. Now they're all coming in, and we're like, oh, my goodness, what is going on? Nancy's going through the food and saying, do we have enough food for everybody? And Next thing you know, they come in, and we welcome them, and we begin to talk, and I'll never forget that talk. Uh, as I told them, you know, thank you so much for coming. And, you know, we'll, we'll take this more seriously and pray about it, but we really don't want to come. And I'll never forget the, the two teenage kids, one girl and one boy, son and daughter, looked at us and said, listen, the school we go to is extremely legalistic. Dad won't tell you this, But the reason why we're asking you is because we need somebody like you to bring a grace-oriented perspective to our school. Would you come? And I said, "Uh, you know, how do you, look, little secret, if you ever want to get to my heart, send teenagers to talk to me. Seriously, if you ever want to get to my heart, send teenagers to talk to me. I, my heart was broken. I said, okay, look, I'll come and look at the school. And then uh, about a week and a half later, Nancy and I drove to Pennsylvania. Uh, and as, as we got there, we were impressed with the campus. We were impressed with the students. But there was one moment that was kind of the pivotal moment in my decision. And this whole story that I'm telling you comes to this moment. And it's Mike, myself, and Karen, who is the uh, developmental director of the school. And uh, 
I had just finished meeting with the principal, and I can tell you I know why the school was so legalistic. I was warned, but we were able to get along in that first meeting. And uh, we're meeting with Karen, and, 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 and Mike, Pastor Mike says, uh, you know, this is Sergio. The reason why we want to get him here is because we heard a lot about him. He comes highly recommended, and he's a grace-oriented pastor, and it's about time that we bring some grace to the school. And Karen says, well, good luck with that. Not because she didn't want it. She wanted it. But because of the intense conservative, I mean, the board felt like this was the last bastion of conservative Adventism in Pennsylvania, you know? I mean, this was like, please, you know? And, and so the, the legalism, it was so intense there. And she was like, good luck with that. And I'll never forget this. Mike stands up. I had never had anybody do this before from a conference. He stands up and he says, okay, fine. I'll just get anybody in here and we'll just keep being a conservative, legalistic school. I mean, I could tell that he was shaking. And he's like, you know what? Enough is enough. We either get somebody in here with grace or we just all go home. And I remember thinking, I could work for this guy. <laughs> the hardest thing was to go back to that board and let them know that we had accepted the call. Peers, and till this day, we still wonder if we had made the right decision. <laughs> Within a few years, though, the school became extremely grace-oriented. You guys have all met Spencer Hannah. He became the principal afterwards, and we began to work together. And when you guys have met Dave Ferguson, he became the chaplain. I mean, everything began to change. Uh, when you begin to work with, uh, with a grace-oriented mentality and perspective, God begins to say, okay, this is safe now, and he brings in good people. Isn't that true? The, we, we became the first ever high school, not Christian academy, high school, back then in those days, that offered a full curriculum in leadership to young people. It was an awesome, awesome time. But I remember reflecting on this enough is enough moment. Have you ever had an, an enough is enough moment in your life? I think we've all had them, right? Uh, some of them are trivial moments. You're in line at the grocery store. The person in front of you is, is making casual conversation. You're late for an appointment. And you're like, come on, come on, you know. And then they can't find their checkbook. They, write, they still write checks at the counter. Have you, have you ever had this experience? Am I the only one? And you're sitting there, and, and now she can't figure out how much it is, and it's not working, and you get to the point where you're like, okay, enough is enough, and you switch lines, only to find out you're on the, behind somebody that's even worse. <laughs> or maybe some of you guys can relate to this. Maybe you're at a church potluck, and you look at a roast, and it looks really good. It's like, this, this is going to be a good roast. So you grab more than you normally would, because this looks really good. And then you take it back, and you, you taste it as you're talking to people, and you, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? It's like, what is wrong with this roast? Not here. This never happens here. But, but you know, I, I've had this moment before. And, and, and now you're like, you're like, well, I'm at a potluck. I'm at a church. 
you know, maybe the person I'm talking to made it, so I'm like, yeah, okay. And, and you begin, you know, to try to shove it down your mouth and your stomach, and you get to the point where you're like walking closer and closer to the garbage, right? And you're like, all right, enough is enough, right? And you throw it away. Have you ever had those moments? I remember Nancy, the first time she came to eat dinner at my house, and my Italian mom decided to impress her with her famous seven-course meal. And Nancy wasn't used to this. <laughs> After two things, Nancy was like, okay, enough, please, enough, enough is enough. No more food. Mama was really upset, but she got over it. Now, some are more consequential enough is enough moments. They were what I call warranted, legitimized, impatient moments. Maybe your boss at work has taken advantage of you uh, maybe one too many times. And after years of working there, you say, you know, enough is enough, and you quit. Or, or maybe you're a boss, and one of your employees, who's, who's gifted, does well, but she's late all the time, late all the time. And you talk to her, and, you, and the next thing you know, you get to the point where you say, what? Enough is enough. Or maybe, I know this, there's plenty of moms in here. Maybe you are working on a project, your children are playing, and then suddenly they're fighting, and you're like, stop it, please, you know, and then they're playing some more, and then they're fighting, and please stop, you know, they're playing this, and then you get to the point where you say what? Enough is enough, right? And you stop. We all have these enough is enough moments. Some are even more serious. So, for example, Gandhi seeing the unjust treatment and turmoil among his people, got to a point in his heart where he said, enough is enough. Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., sensing the inequalities of black in America, got to a point where he said, enough is enough. Or Nelson Mandela, head to head with the unjust system of apartheid, enough is enough, even willing to go to jail for it. Or maybe Mother Teresa, one day witnessing the poverty and disease in Calcutta getting to the point in our hearts saying, enough is enough. Have you ever gotten there? Have you ever gotten to the point in your life where you said, enough is enough? I think we all have these moments. Even some of us who are the most even-tempered. Isn't that true? I've had friends that you would never think they would ever lose their temper, get to the point where they say, enough is enough. Moments of truth when it really counts when it matters most, when you've reached a point of no return and every fiber in your being is saying, enough is enough. When I was a little boy, I used to love, well, I've actually learned how to speak English watching Popeye the Sailor Man. Anybody enjoy Popeye the Sailor Man? It was my, one of my favorite cartoon characters growing up. Of course, he was anatomically improbable, but I liked it because he was a cartoon. And he had a girlfriend. Anybody remember his girlfriend's name? Olive Oil. Yes, Olive Olive was his girlfriend, and she was a real traffic, traffic stopper back in those days. She would walk by, and men would whistle at her, or dogs would bark. Remember that? That was just really interesting. And, and, and when someone or something would threaten olive oil, uh, you would watch this on TV. You would watch. Popeye was easygoing at first, right? But as the danger increased, his blood pressure would begin to rise, and you, he would visibly begin to shake, and then all of a sudden, he would just utter these words, these famous words that a whole generation of Americans has embedded in their psyche. That's all I can stand. I can stand no more, right? 
How many of you remember that? And then all of a sudden, what would happen? Spinach. I think I like spinach today because of Popeye. I love spinach. I don't know. I'm one of these weird guys. And, you know, that's all I could stand. I could stand no more. I related to that. And here's what I find out. Would it surprise you to know that God has had that's all I could stand. I can stand no more moments. That God has had moments like that where he says, enough is enough. We see a glimpse of it early on in the Bible in the book of Genesis, right before the flood. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. God witnesses this. And God says, enough is enough. So he commissioned Noah to build the ark. And then eventually the flood comes. And only eight survive. And they had the promise that it would never happen again as a flood. And they get to repopulate the earth. God raises the people. And there's a promise of the sacrificial lamb all over again. And time passes, wars and plagues and injustices and earthquakes and kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall and humanity begins to once again reach a very low point as the Roman Empire moves across the earth. Life was becoming more and more false and artificial. That True worship had turned into this soul-bending ceremonies. I'd like to read to you from one of my favorite authors. She writes in this book called The Book of Education. She says, she's talking about that period of time, and she says, disgusted with fable and falsehood, seeking to drown thought, men turned to infidelity and materialism. Now, I, I want you to read this, by the way. I want you to hear this as I'm reading this, and I want you to see if you can... Compare it to what's happening today. Leaving eternity out of their reckoning, they lived for the present. As they ceased to recognize the divine, they ceased to regard the human. Truth, honor, integrity, confidence, compassion were departing from the earth, she says. Relentless greed and absorbing ambition gave birth to universal distrust, she says. So evil, she says, unrestrained, actually grew stronger, while the appreciation and desire for good diminished. Men, she says, lost the image of God and received the impress of demonical power by which they were controlled, she says. Men... She says, the whole world was becoming a sink of corruption. There was but one hope for the human race, that in this massive, discordant, corrupting element might be cast a new leaven, that there may be brought to mankind a power and a new life, that the knowledge of God might be restored to the world. And I get it. But once again, God looks at what's happening and he reaches his enough is enough moment. 
And he says, that's all I can stand. I can stand no more. It's time. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, 4 and 5, it says, but when the time, when the set time had fully come, when this moment came, God knew this was going to happen. God knew he was going to get to this point. He's going to get to this point where he's saying, okay, enough is enough. Now is the perfect time. We've talked about uh, Jesus is, is, got, is the best drummer in the world, right? Perfect timing. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. When it was perfect timing, when, when it was ripe, when it came to the enough is enough moment, God sends his son to be born of the... Of, uh, uh, this, this, is, this is amazing. At the critical, precise moment, God sent forth his son. The evil villain is winning the battle, but God sends in the cavalry, arriving just in the nick of time, right? Hollywood has capitalized on this theme. We see it from court scenes, and the surprising witness comes in to Robin Hood and Indiana Jones to Jack Ryan and the Avengers. Just at the nick of time, in the right moment, everything changes. Have you noticed that? All pale, however. Dim compared to the greatest, most awesome, in the nick of time moment of all. And that's what Christmas, which we're going to be celebrating in a few weeks, is all about. Amen? And then he says, you know, born of a woman. You know, I want to make sure that we understand what this means. Because I believe that as Christians we have domesticated, we have sanitized the birth of Jesus. You know, we have a manger scene, shepherds all in, in white. The animals are perfectly placed. There's, there's no dung, biblical word. No smell. Everyone has golden halos. Have you seen the pictures? That's not the way it was. You know, we sing, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Trust me, little Lord Jesus was crying. Jesus was human. He cried, he looked like every other Jewish baby. Maybe the only one he didn't look like was dad, Joseph. The truth is, both parents were just teenagers. The truth is, his birth was, was very messy. They were in a stable that was unkempt. Neither set of grandparents were present because most likely they were ashamed. When he was hungry, he cried. If you cut him, he bled. You insulted him, he hurt. When they smashed the crown of thorns on his head, he anguished. When they nailed him to a cross, he died. Born of a woman. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2 puts it this way. That moment, that hinge moment, the enough is enough moment. Saying, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Some versions say something to be grasped. In other words, he, he would let go of his grip on divinity for us. It says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. 
he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross. His enough is enough moment was written way before. And he comes voluntarily knowing what his purpose and his fate is going to be. He begins at the very summit of existence, we are told. Thousands times, ten thousands of angels bow before him in adoration. He is magnified, he is exalted, he is honored, and he is worshipped. Jesus, he is the owner of the universe, voluntarily relaxes his grip on divinity. He empties himself of all that interferes with the mission. And the first time he came, he divested himself of his kingly robes. The celestial chronicles say that he left his reputation behind. Isaiah says he had no beauty or majesty, majesty to attract us to him. The first time he came, he left his brilliance behind. He hid his glory behind the robe of humanity. He came as a servant. He who was constantly attended and served, now he who deserved the admiration and worship of the universe, now he is ordered by mom, and he's willing to be ordered. Wow. He has to ride donkeys. He has skin around him. has to open doors. The first time he came, he appeared as a helpless babe born in a stable to a blue-collar Jewish laborer. Jesus, the all-knowing, the all-potent, the all-present Jesus now experiencing the binding confines and restriction of flesh. And he is tired and he is hungry. Don't be fooled. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made. I came across a text. I must have read it a thousand times. And then one day it hit me. It changed everything about how I look at the cross and how I look at the sacrifice of Jesus. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Just a simple text. And it goes like this. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. The man, Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? The mediator... Between God and us is the man, Christ Jesus. In other words, he is still robed with humanity up there. Have you thought about this? When, when he was taken up into heaven, what did the angels say? This same Jesus will come in soul-like manner, right? The same Jesus. When he let go of his grip of, of divinity, there was something that he let go of. And we don't fully understand. I don't know if we will ever understand. But the sacrifice wasn't just the death on the cross. It was an eternal sacrifice. He lost something forever. And he forever accepted his human form. And we are told that in heaven there will be only one reminder of sin. It will be his marks. He'll be the only one that will have his crucifixion the crucifixion marks that will be reminding us of sin. Every other trace of sin will be forgotten. Every tear will be wiped dry. In taking our nature, the Savior has bound himself to humanity by a tie 
that will never be broken. The Bible says, unto us a child is born. Isn't that right? Unto us a son is given. That is God's gift to us. When you think about Christmas, when you think about gifts, think about this amazing gift. It wasn't just him coming to die for us. That's amazing in and of itself. But the fact that he is ours forever. Amen? I don't know if you're beginning to catch a glimpse of the selfless, grand, eternal sacrifice that Jesus made. Once again, I believe the time is coming that you will hear God say, that's all I could stand. And I can stand no more. And I believe that time is coming very, very soon. If you haven't, if you haven't picked up on it in these last few months, man, wake up. Enough is enough. I believe that time is coming. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37 says, For in just a little while. How long? A little while. He who is coming will come and will not delay. God's purposes know no haste and no delay. He who will come will come, and he will not delay. Amen? The first time he came, he came as a servant. The next time he comes, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. The first time he came, he came disguised as a child, and a few recognized him. The next time he comes, he will come unveiled, and all will recognize him. The first time he came, a single star marked his arrival. The next time he comes, the whole heaven will roll up like a scroll, and he will come with thousands times ten thousands of angels. Amen? The first time he came, a, a few wise men brought him gifts, but the next time he comes, it is he who will bring the gift of redemption and salvation for each and every one of us. The first time he came, there was no room for him at the inn. The next time he comes, the whole world will not be able to contain him. The first time he came, only a few attended his arrival. The next time he comes, every eye will see him. The first time he came as a helpless babe, born in the manger when, Jesus, when God said enough is enough, the next time, he's going to come seated on the throne as a sovereign ruler, king of kings and lord of lords. I'm ready. How about you? Some of us right now need to be able to say, some of you guys are saying this already because of COVID. That's all I can stand. I can stand no more, right? <laughs> I've had enough. I get it. I'm there. I'm with you. But I'd like to take you a little bit further and get to the point where we can all say together and all say individually in our hearts, change my heart, God, because that's all I can stand. I can stand no more. I am tired of this earth. I want to go home. Anybody with me on that? Amen. In the next few moments after I pray, we will be singing Oh, Daryl will be singing uh, a famous, uh, well-known Christmas song. 
And um, because of COVID, we can't sing. I know that. I, I get that. And he's uh, encouraged you to hum. I read somewhere that in China, where it's illegal, the congregation gets up, they open up the hymnal, and they just mouth the words because if they are heard singing, they would get arrested. But guess what? The sound in their ears is just as beautiful of the whole congregation singing. Amen? And so for now, let's sing like our brothers and sisters in China sing. And let God guide our hearts and minds for his glory. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you so much for who you are and how you guide us in our lives. Thank you so much for the way you make things just fall into place just at the right time. Thank you so much, God, for, for even the times that you say, enough is enough. And I know, Lord, your patience is amazing. That you are long-suffering and that you're waiting for as many as possible to go across the threshold of eternity. And, Lord, we want to help you do that. But we want to be ready. There are things in our lives that need to stop. Enough is enough. Please, Lord, help us. Help us to do that by your grace, by your influence in our hearts. And may we just stay connected to you until you come again. Oh, come, all you faithful.